Here it goes. This is Jesse Freeston responding to your morning questions. These are good questions, by the way. All right. When I think about success, who comes to mind and why? Who comes to mind and why? Okay, well, here's the me that comes to mind. The me that comes to mind in the future is somebody who, whose self-thoughts are like primarily positive. It's like I feel good, feel really good about who I am, where I'm at, what I'm doing. Um, and I feel like I'm on a good mission. So I definitely believe you need a good mission to... Uh, to be successful like um it wouldn't be enough to just complete a good mission and at some level yeah you would need some sort of recognition i don't know if i have any kind of preference really in terms of how that recognition takes shape but at some level it's like it's hard for me to imagine being successful in a way that nobody else is seeing because that means i'm not really helping anybody or enriching anybody's life I guess, um, on a material level, I would like to have a f consistently have a fridge full of cold, delicious juices, none of them from concentrate. I love, I love when I'm thirsty and there's like some ice cold guava juice or something like that, mm. or even apple or orange, whatever, just good cold juice. And, yeah, I would definitely want to be part of a community where I'm both needed and liked. Um, I think that's what success would look like for me. It's hard for me to say who that is because I, I don't have too many people in my life that I have access to that deeply to know what's in their mind, what their mental world is like, and what their community's like, and what their fridge looks like. So it's hard for me to say who. Do you have a belief that others consider to be crazy? The answer to that is yes. Is there any advice you would give to yourself at the age of 20, 30, and 40? I'm trying to think of where. 20 was the biggest turning point I had in my life. Um, so I guess it would be at what point in 20? Um, I would say at 20, it would just it would be, if it was before I had this major turning point where I got really, really sick with pancreatitis um, from abusing alcohol, and that caused me to go a year without drinking, and that led to me getting a really good look at the life I was building for myself, and also pushed me to kind of get out of the places I was hanging out, um, not that they were particularly terrible uh, or that the people involved were particularly terrible, just it was limited and limiting 
And I just became aware in my sobriety of so many other things happening uh, in the world. Um, and even in the city I was in. And uh, yeah, I would say that was, that was like the positive thing. So the advice I would give is just like, yeah, lean into these lessons, man. Just like take these all in. This is the real deal. Um, and just get out there and learn through action you know just try to make try to get that balance of like action and reflection um don't think too much before doing something think after doing something you know <laughs> at 20 that's what I say. like now i wouldn't say that because you've learned a lot of lessons so yeah but at 20 that's i mean this doesn't apply to like really stupid things that could end your life or somebody else's life obviously but just in general and at 30 so I'm 35 now, so I can't really do 40. Um, I wouldn't presume to be able to tell myself at 40 what to do. But at age 30, at age 30, I was in the throes of romanticism. Um, I was falling. I fell madly in love a couple times around there. And I put an incredible amount of pressure on the people I was falling in love with because I really, I really had fallen into this romanticism idea, you know, of like perfect people and soulmates and stuff like this. And my friend uh, Rufo gave me this great advice at the time, which was, he said, el, el poema muere cuando se conoce el poeta. The poem dies when you meet the poet. And um, yeah, and that was, you know, basically like, you know, don't build up this image of any human in your head as being anything beyond flawed. Because um, once you really get to know them, you'll see. And uh, so you got to learn to love the flawed people, not dream of the perfect people. And that goes for heroes, and that goes for romantic partners, and that goes for everybody. So that's what I needed to learn when I was 30. And I think I learned it around 31. Any advice you hear in your industry that you disagree with? Yeah. In the freelancer video industry, um, I see a lot of stuff and I hear a lot of stuff that is suggests that the only way to kind of value our work is, is by how much money it brings in. So you see a lot of stuff like know your worth and you see a lot of when people post on like Facebook groups for freelancers, um, anybody who posts anything saying like, hey, listen, I've got an idea. Often they're very young or they're just getting started in the industry or whatever. And they'll post something like, hey, I've got this, I've got this idea. I'm looking for somebody to work with me on this. I got no money right now. Um, but, you know, potentially if we get a grant or if we or if this goes further, you know, then, then we can figure something out. Um, but or whatever, or maybe they don't say that, but, but for whatever reason, there's no money right now, or the money's very low, and they just get hounded by a bunch of um, maybe more experienced people um, who kind of mock them for, for putting this out there. And I really, I really reject that this is the only, both, both things here, that this is the only way um, that these people should be suggesting that 
that the only way any of us should work is for money and for good money and for market level market wages um and also i reject the idea that these people should in any way feel personally insulted by the fact that this post exists on a facebook group and i really i think there is an element of know your worth and i think you should kind of bring treat every client kind of trying to analyze where they're at what's going on um and client here collaborator whatever word you want to use and i think that so I, but i think it, it's important it's it's cost me a lot to try and figure out how much to charge people who have money and stuff like this and not be so terrified of not getting the job that i grossly undervalue what i can bring um and uh and so that and also just the fear i have a like deep fear of being called greedy you know so i i, I that keeps me from often from uh estimating giving an a proper estimate of uh of how much i should be charging but i would say that the best motto that i've heard for freelancing when it comes to this stuff um and that i try to apply is called uh, the guy said do it for the meal the real or the feel so meal being money um or maybe it could be actual meals i don't know um but something to meet your your needs in that way uh material needs feel sorry real comes next um real being for me is something i haven't done before so real here being like maybe explicitly for your demo in my case i'm a i do a lot of shooting um so but but, but real in here in general for me means doing something i haven't done before that could mean using equipment i've never used before that could mean a concept i've never done before this could mean um yeah any a format i haven't done before a genre i haven't done before like i've been getting into music videos of late hadn't done a lot of those before um which is a whole new grammar um and and then the third one is feel which for me often have a political element to it um it'll be supporting a cause i feel strongly in favor of um that's typically the feel thing but it could also be collaborating with somebody that i've always wanted to collaborate with um something like this so what i aim for now at this stage in my career is that every project i work on checks two of the three boxes so if i'm going to do something if i'm asked to do something for free um which does happen quite a fair quite a fair bit um i will or for very 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 low money then i will try to see if we can't and it's it'll always be for the feel in that situation then i will i will um try to push something for the real as well So I will I will suggest to these people that we take this very seriously and we try to do something cool, something I haven't done before or a mix of something I've done before with this whatever they're bringing um that we try to do something real cool uh that we'll all be proud of, particularly I'll be proud of. Um that's that's what I do. So I try to always mark two of the three. I've done some stuff where it's all meal um if you pay me $700 a day as long as it doesn't go against one of my core 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 values i'm in <laughs> for the most part um what is a gift 
you have given the most. Well, it's just on the top of my head now is just exactly what I was just saying. I've done a lot of free video work for people. And, um, and a lot of it's been kind of repetitive. And so this is now why I'm putting this motto into action in large part, why I'm including pushing for the real as well. And the other main gift I've given people a lot is lasagna, probably. I've given people a lot of lasagna over the years. I've had a lot of gatherings with a lot of lasagna. My mom has an amazing recipe. I, and, I, and I'll share the, the trick. The trick is that instead of ricotta cheese, which is pretty expensive, you use cream of mushroom soup. And it's awesome. And then from then on, you can do whatever you want. You can put meat on it if you want. You don't have to have meat on it if you don't want. And you can put any kind of cheese you want on there. Just make sure there's lots of it. Of course, I have experimented with the vegan lasagna as well, which can be a delicious meal, but that's not my specialty. What does the first 60 minutes of your mornings look like? Or what morning rituals do you have? Ooh, I definitely have never been able to stick to any kind of morning routine or ritual. Um, since COVID, I've been doing pretty well at doing my morning workouts. And I'm kind of proud of that because that's been going on for longer than any other routine has kind of been going on for and but i would say that my typical um routine the only thing that's remained constant is incorporating the snooze button so is the snooze button yeah like i but I, what i've gotten better at is kind of planning for the snooze button and i think those are often the best 20 minutes of my day is there's just this incredible relief feeling of hitting the snooze button putting your head back down on the pillow i love it and so i usually do that twice just because it's so good and but it's really an emotional roller coaster to be honest because then the alarm goes off again 10 minutes later and that's such a horrible feeling and then snoozing oh oh it's so good so the day starts off it's an emotional roller coaster of alarm, snooze, alarm, snooze, alarm, up. And then I embrace the quiet for a little bit. And then I put on some music. I put on something uplifting, something with a beat. Um, yeah, music is the key. What have you changed your mind on in the last year and why? how I think about language and how I've confronted this deep desire that I've always had, which I think is on the whole a positive one, but needs to be checked a little bit, which is to have everybody love me. I think I know where it comes from. It comes from being an, an only child, um, growing up with a single mother, and so there was, you know, my mom wasn't always home. She worked. 
And, you know, when she was home, it's like, you know, we, there's only so much me and my mom can talk about. So you add this to the fact that I was born, I believe, it's pretty clear, I was born in like extreme extrovert in the sense that I have a real hard time leaving a gathering of people. It's so energizing for me to be with people and it almost doesn't matter which people. There are exceptions, but they are few. I could probably think of all of their names. I'm not going to share them here though. So I think being aware of that, this like deep desire to have everybody love me and so that I'm always wanted so that I don't have to go home early. Um, I think uh, that that has been something that has led me to choose my words in such a way for most of my life in the sense where I'm just trying to make somebody like me. So I'm not always speaking my truth or I'm, like, I'm at least negotiating it. I'm negotiating what I really want to say with what how what I think they want me to hear or how they want me to say it and I think it's good to want people like you I think that's an instinct that helps make community to a certain degree but I have been getting a little bit um been trying to get stronger right now on making sure I really say what I really mean and using the right words uh, a lot of my kind of literary heroes are very um good at this and this is one of the things that that stands them out they are they are not lovers of cliche for example and they really really seek out the words that give the meaning that they are trying to give that corresponds to what they're thinking and feeling in their head something about people like george orwell or cornell west um, would be two that come to mind right now so that would be that would maybe be what i've what i've changed my mind on or like what about my mind i've been trying to change in the past year what is a 100 dollars you made within the last six months that has had positive impact on your life what is a $100 you made within the last six months that has had positive impact on your life? I mean, most of the, I don't really know what this question is saying. Sorry, I'm gonna have to skip that one. What is failure to you? I guess, <laughs> this is going back to the theme. I guess it's not being invited to play by people who I love and respect. I guess that's failure. That's when I feel the shittiest. <laughs> Being excluded by people that I love and respect. That sucks. I mean, it's, it's, it's helpful if I have a good explanation for why I'm not invited. Um, but it still sucks. And... Which has really sucked during COVID because people have had to be very, very selective on their invitations. And so you find out about things you didn't get invited to. Oof, it hurts. And, and I can't tell if it's like just an ego trip thing or if it's, if it's that mixed with like that it hurts my ego that I wasn't invited because it, it seems like it, dimin it diminishes me 
my understanding of myself or or if it's just like like a more pure positive thing of like oh that would have been a great time with people which is like my favorite thing um yeah on that front though too another form of failure which i i realized um at some point in my adulthood uh is not being able to be alone with myself or not being comfortable with it not being cool with it which i think i've gotten over that the trick i think is like laughing at all these uh these weird thoughts i get can you force opportunities or have you created them for yourself Okay, this is the same. Yeah, can you force opportunities slash create them for yourself? Absolutely. And um, yeah, it's like you got to be good to be lucky is this kind of silly phrase, but there's some truth to it. Um, and you got to work hard to be good. So you got to work hard to be lucky. If we were going to treat this like an algebra equation. Um, I would say, yeah, absolutely. You can create opportunities for yourself. There is also luck. There's chaos in the universe. And I think the trick is to being able to, to, to identify what is an opportunity, which I'm not particularly good at. I don't think, I think I get lost. I don't think strategically enough. I get lost in the present, which is on the whole a very positive thing. I think it leads to me having a healthier internal life than people who are constantly on the lookout for something better. Um, but one of the uh, opportunity costs is that I think I miss opportunities because I'm not thinking enough about the future and uh, not thinking strategically enough. But I do think that um, the path to creating opportunities for yourself beyond that like the general strategy is often misunderstood so i think that when you think about creating your opportunities a lot of people think about making the right plan and sticking to it and there's definitely an element of that um i believe in good plans and trying to stick to them but you know there's this uh farmer poet from kentucky named wendell berry and he has this great comment at some point. I think it was Wendell Berry who said this. Anyways, I'm paraphrasing it, but imagine what I'm about to say, but like a lot more poetic and beautiful and with like a Appalachian slang on it. He said that when he looked at the people that he considered successful, and I can't remember if he defined what he meant by successful but he said that or how he defined it but he said that if you look at these people and you actually like kind of study them a little bit and ask them to describe their biography to you or their autobiography to you um you realize or if you track some of them for some time you realize that they didn't get to this place because they made a plan 10 years ago or 20 years ago and they followed it and then a b c d e f g and they got to x where they wanted to be 
Oh man, that rhymed. That was nice. Maybe this is poetic. Maybe I am a better, no, I'm not better than Wendell Berry, but maybe I am a poet. I just don't realize it. That just rhymed. Okay. Back to the poem before the poet screws it up. If you follow these people, if you track them, you realize it wasn't, it's not the story of a perfect plan executed perfectly or even a good plan executed well. Even though there might be a few plans executed well within the story, the broader story is really about that these people typically, instead of trying to work on the perfect plan, are typically just trying to improve themselves become better people become work on their skills work on their understanding of of the people around them their empathy i don't know if you can work on your empathy but feed your empathy test your empathy i don't know they they're trying to be something better than themselves they're not trying to be themselves they're trying to they're they're looking for models of like how they want to be and they're trying to be those things and they're working on that and I think that, and then, and then when opportunities come up, they're ready for them. Like they're the, they're the person who can, who knows what to do. And in the face of challenges as well, not just opportunities, in the face of uh, suffering and challenges. And they're just better fit for it because they've been working on themselves. Um, and working on yourself is, is, and definitely like Wendell Berry would say, it's not just an individual thing. Like you work on yourself in large part by helping others. It's like how you become better and stronger. That's how you get out there. That's how you do your thing. Service. I'm not much of a Christian, but I do believe in kind of Christian ideas around service, serving the community, all that good stuff. Um, but before I get into preaching too much, um, I'll probably just end it there. Or if you want an example, actually, of this Wendell Berry thing. So Frederick Law Olmsted, who I don't know enough about, who's a, a white man from the 1800s, pre-Civil War in the United States. So my apologies if this guy almost certainly turns out to have been a bit of a nefarious figure. I have no idea. But the little that I do know about him, through meeting his biographer on a shoot... Um, about something totally different. It's about Alan Greenspan, actually. Uh, over lunch, he explained to me how, oh, you know that Frederick Law Olmsted is the one who designed the mountain in Montreal, the park. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh, no, I had no idea. And so this is, this Frederick Law Olmsted character got into park design through a very interesting way. So in the 1840s, he was working for the New York Times as a journalist. He thought of himself as a journalist, and he's working for the New York Times. Right on. And there's an economic crisis, um, financial crisis of some sort, in the 1840s or 1850s, just before the Civil War in the United States. And he is laid off as a journalist. So if you're thinking about somebody who's organized their life around plans and having good plans and blah, 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 well, then this is an absolute disaster because now he's lost his job as a journalist and in order to pay the bills or eat or wherever he was at in his life he ends up taking a job with the municipal parks department of new york city he's working a shovel so he's gone from being a journalist at one of the top newspapers in new york to um working a shovel in the parks thing so in the concept of plans and individual plans not going so well 
if he thought of himself as like an intellectual figure at some level working in the in the creative world if that's how he measured his success or that's what his plan was he's definitely not on the plan anymore um but instead he would had a go with the flow attitude and like a do your just do your best and and embrace this as an opportunity and weather the suffering and and find new goals or whatever i don't know how he would put it but so he started really studying the parks he was working in and trying to figure out you know what makes a good park and so in the face of this economic crisis one of the plans that the government came up to stimulate the economy was a big public works plan and that included the construction of central park in new york city and the guy who was hired as the architect of central park uh, was giving a doing a tour of all the existing parks in New York City to kind of look at what they have. And so when he showed up at the park that Olmsted was working at, this is the former journalist, Olmsted. Olmsted at this point, I don't know, had been working for the parks for a while, I don't know how long, but he comes over to the guy and he starts sharing, asking him questions and sharing some of his thoughts on park design. And the guy at some point says, damn, like you've got really good knowledge of these parks and, and, and clearly have some good insights. And so he hires him to help him with the design of Central Park. And over the period that Central Park got designed, people recognized that Olmsted, who'd never designed a park in his life, who'd just been working a shovel a few weeks earlier, was actually better fit to design Central Park. They liked his ideas better than the big park architect that had been hired. And Olmsted ends up and is now known to history and credited as the main architect of Central Park in New York City. And then went on to design, I can't remember how many, but it's like 40 large urban parks, including the mountain here in Montreal. So this is a dude who wasn't judging himself based on a plan, for sure. And was just trying to keep him moving and keep improving himself and adding new skills and, and, and adjusting to his reality, adapting um, in the best way he could. And uh, and now he's got a brilliant author writing a uh, biography about him. This episode was brought to you in part by Sneaker Cipher. Oh, thank you. Keep that same energy. And as my good friend would say, remain unstoppable. Be well, y'all. Hey, are we done? No? Oh, okay.